Hi, and welcome to FTI Experts Hub, the quarterly podcast series that brings you the latest insights from FTI consulting specialists. I am Laura Kalugar, Senior Editor with Commercial Property Executive. We're halfway through the year, and one of the most common topics grabbing the headlines is still the future of the office sector. What will the second half of the year be like for office investors and landlords? Managing Director Rob Raymond is here to provide an outlook for office real estate for the second half of the year. Welcome back, Rob. Thanks, Laura. Let's begin with a, with a question I heard in, in multiple contexts lately. Is the office as we knew it before 2020 dead? Or is the death of the office just a myth? Um, well, interestingly enough, I, I was at a conference a few weeks ago in Denver, and there was a keynote speaker, a brilliant man named Seth Madison, and he, he writes about and speaks about um, leaders who are adept at leading organizations through change. And it was a fantastic keynote speaker. And mm-hmm. one of the things he said, um, which really caught my attention, he said, you become, the first step to becoming a great change leader is realizing that change is not something to get through. It's an opportunity to succeed in a new reality. And I'm probably paraphrasing that, but it, it really caught my attention because we're now two years and a few months post-pandemic, and people are still talking about, quote-unquote, returning to the office. You know, right. And also, the residential market has indicated that people are now buying larger homes, people are renting larger apartments. Those things to me, the fact that it's still two and a half years later, people haven't returned to the office, it's impacting the residential market now, that indicates to me that the myth is probably more of a reality than we like. So I... I'm starting to get into the camp that the office as we knew it before 2020 is is dead, or at least is now a new reality. Mm-hmm. And how are how is everyone in the commercial real estate industry adapting to this new reality? To the extent that they can reduce their, the space they need, um, you know, they're trying to. The, you know, sublease market is soft, so it's, it's kind of hard to get out of space now if, if you're stuck in it for a while. Or they're readapting what excess individual working space they have. They're trying to change it into new, interesting, compelling amenity space or collaborative space, um, you know, to the extent that they can attract people to come into the office for different reasons, other than just to come and do their individual work. I, I think that's how occupiers are at least are trying to change their office into a new reality. To what extent does today's office landscape resemble what you saw in 2009 when you began your consulting career? Because it was the wake of the financial crisis, so I'm sure there are lots of things happening today in the office market that look familiar to you. A little bit. You have to remember, 2009 largely affected the residential markets. Exactly. Um, and then, right. it w- then it was followed by the financial market. So a- back then, a lot of the trust real estate I was focused on was predominantly large multifamily properties that were owned by banks. You know, and then there were some office properties that I was working with that were distressed, but largely those were from financial institutions that were hit by the, the residential uh, financial crisis. You know, the, the pandemic hit the office landscape much more broadly across multiple industries. Um, so to that extent, I actually think the office market is, is worse than what it was in 2009. And overall, all the major property types have seen a, a drop in value. You just said things are worse. What can you tell us about how much valuations have dropped for office assets? Can you estimate how long it will take them to recover, if ever? Um, well, there's a couple of figures that I have to think about. For, for example, office in downtown Manhattan has reached vacancies of 26 to 
those levels we haven't seen since 2002 when there was the double whammy effect of the dot-com crash followed by 9-11. In addition to that, rising inflation has put less value on future cash flows from rental income. So that's caused cap rates to increase as well. So that's caused valuations to really come down, particularly in office assets. And as I mentioned, you know, with the return to office, we're now two plus years plus pandemic, and we still haven't seen much of an improvement in valuations. And I can tell you that the messaging at FTI Consulting, and you know, and FTI is the large is the world's largest restructuring firm. The messaging is that all practices should be prepared for some flavor of restructuring with the work that they're doing. So that tells me that office valuations will either take several more years to recover, or they may not recover at all. It's a pretty grim outlook. It is, um, but I don't think it's going to be as devastating as the financial crisis was in 2009. Okay. I think there's just there just needs to be some corrections. Mm-hmm. Moving on to occupancy, it has improved. Office occupancy has improved compared to the depths of the pandemic, but we will likely never see it return to pre-pandemic levels, as you as you uh, said earlier. Where does this leave owners? Are they willing to take a flexible approach? Is that feasible for all of them? I think so. I think both owners and occupiers actually are willing to be more flexible. Uh, for example, I'm working with a client who occupies several million square feet across two dozen locations in North America. Most of that space is under 50, 60% occupied. You know, as you said, they haven't quite returned to pre-pandemic levels. But the my client is is still doing well financially. So they're willing to be flexible and keep some of the excess space, particularly with landlords who they have good relationships with, so long as the land or landlord or owner is willing to be flexible and offer a discounted rent rate for a little bit of a longer term. You know, the alternative for owners who aren't willing to be flexible is well, they're going to probably end up with vacant, a lot more vacant space and zero rent. So um, I, I think to that extent, I don't think anybody is trying to muscle the other side too much. I think everybody realizes that the pandemic hit everybody pretty equally. And so luckily so far, anyway, I've seen a lot of cooperation um, and flexibility on both sides of the transaction. Here's a positive thing, because we seem to have started on a very negative note. Yes, it did. <laughs> Okay, uh, moving on to the spaces that corporate occupants are are using. Uh, Some employees, or uh, most of them, are now reluctant to return to the office. Uh, Mm -hmm. Would you say some companies are just taking advantage of these conditions to to reduce expenses until the cost of capital goes back down because it's very high right now? Yes and no. Um, I do want to correct one perception. You know, active occupants, Active office occupancy was regularly in the 50s and 60s, well before the pandemic. Um, I, I recall doing utilization studies with dozens of clients in the years prior um, to 2020. And those utilization studies always showed that there was a lot more remote and hybrid work that was occurring under the radar, so to speak. Even though the policy mm-hmm. did not allow for employees to work from home two to three days a week, they were doing it anyway. Um, so sure, there's a lot more remote work happening now than there was before the pandemic. But I think what's changed is that executives and and managers of real estate are paying a lot more attention to it now. So to that extent, you know, has space usage reduced a lot more since before the pandemic? Uh, you know, I would argue for some organizations, it's actually probably returned to pre-pandemic levels, you know, of, of mm-hmm. the 40, 50% vacant most of the time during the day. It's just now it's being monitored more closely. 
Um, as to whether occupiers are taking advantage of the situation, sure, to the extent that they can. But remember, it, it's a very soft sublease market right now. And I have several clients who are trying to get out of space. And some of them, they, they've had space sitting on the market for sublease over a year now. Um, so if they're locked into a lease, you know, there's only so much that they can do to take advantage of the conditions, right? Right. Looking at um, the office stock available, we can see that newer, more amenitized product has remained more competitive, and therefore it seems to have it seems to to face fewer headwinds. Um, is the bulk of the problems really concentrated in in Class B and C office? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I, I will say maybe where the difference is is you know they always say real estate's about location, location, location. Where you have Class B B C office that is. Oddly enough, uh, in suburban locations that's around some great amenities, uh, amenity space, whether it's a you know a large outdoor lifestyle center that has shopping and dining combined with multifamily and entertainment, um, you know those class BC offices are still doing okay. Um, but yes, the bulk of the problems really are in class BC office, particularly in downtown urban areas where they're competing against a class A office that's right across the street. Um, or class BC office that's in the suburbs that is like in an office uh, commercial park or something like that that just does not have a lot of the amenities nearby. Mm-hmm. And all those vacant offices are definitely inducing some stress in the office lending environment as landlords are are facing maturing loans and and have very few options to to stave off delinquency. We we've seen some heavyweight office landlords. Uh, that are already delinquent or have defaulted on their loans, what kind of signals does the situation send to the market? Uh, that your product, if you're going to build office, needs to be differentiated in some way. Um, you can't put the, in my opinion, personally, you can't put the onus on attracting employees back to the office uh, entirely on the occupants. Um, right. you know, when, demand, when demand has become so low, you know, occupiers are going to look to landlords who have fantastic office stock or or who are willing to work with them um you know and unfortunately i think the fact that some of these heavyweights as you, as you put them are starting to uh default on the loans may signal that you know maybe some of the economists are correct that we are going to have a pretty pretty significant correction and perhaps a recession coming and there's also a very low confidence in the office sector's performance which which means lenders are reluctant to finance these properties but with the Fed hitting pause recently in interest rate hikes, will borrowers struggle less to get capital? What should lenders and, and borrowers expect in the second half of the year? Um, well, they paused on on increasing interest rates, but I think they also signaled uh, what I was reading yesterday is that they think there still may be some more increases coming, um, particularly if they don't see that inflation continues to cool. So it's so a temporary extent, pause. Mm-hmm. Correct. They did indicate that it was a temporary pause. So for that reason, you know, if borrowers were struggling to get capital, they're still going to struggle unless the rates come down. Um, they're going to struggle more if rates go up. So I still think all the signals are pointing that the second half of the year uh, are going to continue with lenders and borrowers having challenges to get capital and or you know, the, the recession may happen, as I mentioned. But to that extent, you know, I think this isn't such a sudden crash as what happened in 2008, 2009. So I think if we, you know, if capital markets really do dry up, I think it's been a slow drying. I think we're going to be a little bit more prepared for it this time. 
Overall, do you expect to see a lot of distress in the office market going forward this year? I do. Uh, I think the distress is slowing because people are returning. And the companies who have the occupiers who have been creative and readapting some of their vacant space is starting to help as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I do think we're going to see a little bit more distress, unfortunately, in the second half of the year. And uh, well, th this uh, this interview has been kind of bleak for the existing part. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think there's a number of silver linings that are going to come. Like I said, I think we're a little bit more prepared this time of the year. And I'm actually kind of looking forward to, you know, I think in the in the face of of distress and unfortunate circumstances, you know, luckily, I think there's some brilliant real estate people out there um, who are going to innovate this time and make it to where I think the office of the future or the office of the next generation, whatever we want to call it, I, I think is going to have some pretty awesome things in store. After a short break, Rob and I will talk about office conversions. How widespread are they? Is the trend surging? Stay tuned to find out. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Jessica Fior, Editor-in-Chief of Commercial Property Executive, and I'm here to spread the news about the premium content that you can receive in your inbox by subscribing to the CPE Daily Newsletter. Our experienced writers regularly put together special reports on the hottest topics in the industry, and you can get all these expert insights for free. To sign up, visit commercialsearch.com slash news today. Thank you. Conversion is a buzzword nowadays, and under the right conditions, conversions to different uses can work. In fact, the majority of office conversion projects studied for a recent report from the Urban Land Institute and the National Multifamily Housing Council were of class B and C office properties, the, the ones that you mentioned that uh, have most of the problems. Is this trend picking up steam? It was, uh, and I was excited by it to see that some of these older office buildings, like particularly in Manhattan, um, you know, the owners were looking to convert them into residential. Right. And obviously, there's some capital costs to do that in, in commercial buildings. <clears throat> your your plumbing, heating, and cooling it tends to be in the core of the building. And if you convert it to residential, you have to start taking those HVAC and plumbing lines out to the extremities, wherever the residential bathrooms and et cetera are going to be. And so that takes capital. Exactly. I, I, was I was excited by this because there's a lot of these older buildings that are just beautiful, beautiful architecture. Um, but, you know, they just can't compete with the Class A uh, fancy bell and whistle space that is now in Manhattan. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, as as you noted, the cost of capital went up. And so that killed some of these projects from happening. I, I'm excited to see, you know, hopefully interest rates come back down or these owners that were willing to do these conversions can figure out alternative ways of getting capital, maybe through a private investor or, you know, a PE firm. Um, I think it's a, it's a great trend. Do I think it'll pick up steam? Yes, I think to some extent it has to, um, mm -hmm. or else the owners of these buildings are just simply going to go bankrupt. Um, but I, how fast it picks up steam, I think is going to be largely dependent on what happens with interest rates and what happens with the availability of, of private investment money. And if it doesn't pick up steam, what will happen to all those vacant office spaces? I would hope it doesn't go the way of, you know, I grew up in Detroit and you know, there was the Detroit really struggled to come back. Um, the downtown urban area struggled to come back from the riots of the, the mid and late 60s. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, some buildings, you know, particularly the class BC building, people talked about how beautiful they were in architecture and they sat vacant 
for a very, very long period of time, decades, in fact. I'm hoping that's not what happens, but you know, unfortunately, if these owners go bankrupt and um, the downtown urban areas continue to stay underutilized, unattractive to people who want to come into the office, you know, we, we may unfortunately see some of these buildings that stay vacant for quite a while. Cities are recovering from the pandemic at different rates. Are there any metros or cities where you expect to see more return to office going forward? Uh, I was recently having a conversation with my team about this um, on, on our bi-weekly bi team calls. I mm -hmm. was I traveled a lot last month. I was in Denver, Seattle. Obviously, I live in Austin. Um, I was in Detroit. I was in New York. I was in Chicago, all within the last five weeks. Um, so I got to see all those different downtown cities, and I was I was surprised by the varying degree to which cities have come back. I was surprised to see Seattle downtown um, had, was was very challenged. Um, there was still a lot of boarded up retail space, office space. I saw advertisements for high rise residential that the prices had been significantly dropped to try to attract mm -hmm. people to downtown areas. Um, I remember trying to find a lunch spot on a Saturday afternoon downtown and nothing was open, not even a sub shop. Um, but as soon as you crossed I-5 and went over into Capitol Hill, it was bustling. Wow. Uh, similarly, with, with, I said I was at that conference in Denver, downtown Denver. Similarly, <clears throat> you know, 16th Street used to be bustling um, with activity throughout the entire day and night. And I was surprised at how little activity there was um, along 16th Street Mall in Denver. However, Chicago was uh, back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, you know, River North was just they had to shut down a couple of streets on a Friday evening because the foot traffic to go in and out of bars um, was so extensive. And, it, you know, I was having difficult getting dinner reservations at restaurants. So, um, and similarly, I think New York is somewhere in between. I've seen downtown New York come back. I, the reason I was talking with my team is I, I don't, I was, we were trying to figure out what was the difference between Denver and Seattle and Chicago and New York. You know, you can't say it's, it's a political reason. You can't say it's a weather reason. I, I really don't know, but there's definitely that that disparity between how some markets have, have returned and some markets haven't. What's causing that disparity? I, I guess I need more time to think about that. That's that's a huge topic to reflect upon. Yeah, definitely. We've also seen a trend uh, with suburban office spaces coming back to life. And some of them, at least the more amenitized ones, are really strengthening their comeback. Is the outlook for suburban office assets brighter than from urban office assets? Because the appeal of, of an improved work-life balance, more cost-effective housing alternatives, and the opportunity to easily access nature and other outdoor spaces have all served as, as driving forces behind individuals' decision to, to relocate to smaller cities or suburban areas. Yeah, I think they are strengthening the comeback. Um, that conference that I mentioned to, I went to in Denver, it's actually a conference between uh, economic developers and utility authorities combined with the consultants who advise clients who are looking to do uh, site selection location strategy projects. And what was mentioned at that conference was that um, if you have a suburban location, that, like I said, it is one of these lifestyle centers where there's a high concentration of shopping, entertainment, dining, bars, um, activities um, with also, you know, class BC or even a office, um, multifamily hotels. That's where a lot of the hot activity and 
And that's where clients are looking to establish locations where mm -hmm. it's in the suburbs, where it's a little bit easier to get to, where, where parking is not difficult to find or expensive for that matter. That is where all the activity is. And I think there was even an article recently that said that Simon Property Group um, just raised a whole bunch of capital, um, which Simon Property Group does, does some, some fantastic stuff in terms of uh, mixed use developments like that in the suburbs. And, um, you know, they, that seems to be where a lot of clients and a lot of activity is, is really starting to strengthen the, the comeback in the suburbs. You previously referred to uh, the fact that the cities are recovering from the pandemic at different rates. Are there any cities or, or regions in the country that you expect to be outperformers when it comes to their office markets going forward? Yeah, you know, I want to say that a lot of the cities in the Sun Belt are, are going to be the outperformers. The demographics also show that people are migrating from the north to the south. Um, yeah, the Sun Belt has been grabbing the headlines. Correct. Yeah. Right. And Austin, you know, for the last 10 years has been growing double digits, um, has been among, you know, the top three, if not the top fastest growing metro in the United States. Similarly, you know, demographics show that both Texas and Florida grew in, in population size over the last decade. So I would I would be inclined to say that cities in the in the south, in the region of the south, are going to be outperforming their office markets. But like I said, I I was I was surprised by Chicago and just how how much that has really recovered and come back. Um, so I, again, like I said, in terms of the disparity, in terms of how some cities are performing and have come back from the pandemic than others, I, I think I still I still need a little bit more research on that topic before I can have a strong opinion on that. But I, I would be inclined to say that. Cities and states in the south are, are probably going to continue to outperform as the population ages and, and people want to move to warmer climate, climates. Okay, I look forward to resuming this conversation toward the end of the year to see how it all turned out. Thank you, Rob, for another insightful conversation. It's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, so it's, it's always an honor to be asked to do these, Laura. I appreciate the uh, the time. And again, I, I'll I'll take a, another look at this topic and about the different performance and the comeback of different cities and. Maybe we can revisit it uh, later in the year. Perfect. Thank you all for listening. And don't forget to follow CP's podcasts on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Music